0: Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems adopt technologies. I am your host, Tiasza Zeitz, and today we are going to talk about Germany. More specifically, how is Germany leading the way in healthcare digitization? you will hear from three speakers Henrik Matthias, Managing Director of the Health Innovation Hub of the German Ministry of Health Maren Lesche, Head of Incubation at Vision Health Pioneers a seed Incubator and Dr. Mike Henningsen, medical doctor specialized in OBGYN, oncology, endocrinology, and reproductive medicine, and who is partially still working in the clinical practice but is also involved in Vision Health Pioneers as head of medical business strategy. Germany is one of the European countries with a higher healthcare expenditure. 11% of GDP goes to healthcare compared to 9.6% of the European average. Patients can be covered under public health insurance or if they earn more than €5,000 monthly, they can choose from private health insurance providers. Health insurance is mandatory but competitive as there are around 100 health insurance companies on the market. with. 387 billion euros spent on healthcare in 2018, Germany is the world's second largest healthcare market, but up until recently had one of the lowest digitization levels among developed countries. As explained by Hendrik Mathies, digitization of healthcare began already in early 2000s. Somehow, progress stalled.
1: Germany was actually one of the first nations worldwide to set up a specific institution to foster the digitization of the German healthcare system. That was already in 2003. The institution is called Gematik and was kind of a joint um, institution led by, on the one hand, the health insurance companies, the physicians, and the clinics so the setup was really good back then because it involved all key stakeholders and back then everyone was ready to digitize then unfortunately a couple of things happened on the one hand they all had to agree on basics and this never happened they discussed over years and years very basic um, topics and couldn't really agree on the other hand Some of them also understood that with digitization of the entire healthcare system, suddenly something is going to happen, which not everyone is a great friend of, and that is transparency. Until now, it's hardly possible to understand which physician is doing a good job, which clinic is doing a good job. But if you have a completely digitized healthcare system, this is definitely the case. And it's, for very good reasons, the case for the benefit of the patient's health and safety. However, this was holding the entire um, progress back. Long story short, it took 15 years until 2018, when this kind of full stop of the digitization Started to move into the right direction and that is in fact due to one person and that is the German Minister of Health, Jens Spahn.
0: Jens Spahn became the Health Minister in March 2018. Germany quickly became the European Northern Star of accelerated healthcare digitization. In April 2019, the government established the Health Innovation Hub, a kind of advisory board for the Ministry of Health, serving as a neutral platform for exploring possibilities of digitization and developing ideas for digital transformation. Several laws have been put in place under the new minister. In November 2019, the Digital Supply Law, which gave doctors power to prescribe digital health apps to patients, and the apps can be reimbursed by the country's statutory health insurance. Germany also plans to bring in electronic health records for patients with statutory insurance by 2021. So what is Jens Spahn doing differently to achieve all these changes?
1: Three factors are really crucial here. On the one hand, it's about time. Although digitization and in general the the, um, involvement of more technology in the healthcare system has been avoided for so long, until 2018, everyone had understood we cannot continue like this. We are completely losing um, connect to what is standard practice in other leading uh, Western nations, it, it is actually causing the German healthcare system to be significantly worse than it should be and could be. The second probably more important factor is Jens Spahn is someone who is going into conflicts. The German Minister of Health um, historically is more in a moderator role, so most of the decisions are being taken by the stakeholders themselves they are in a so called self organization system the healthcare uh, health insurances on the one hand the statutory the physicians and the clinicians are used to kind of manage the systems by themselves and the um, the ministry is more giving some basic directions which also caused that the three four health ministers uh, prior to yen chuan we're more on the moderator position saying, if you don't agree, I can't do much here. Let's continue the way we have been working the past couple of decades. Jens Spahn, on the other hand, is someone who is really striving for a modernization of this entire system. And he's willing to go on conflicts. He did this pretty much in the first couple of months um, because the entire system was pretty relaxed back then, thinking we can continue the way we have been working the past decades. This new guy, he's probably not want to want to fuss with us, but he did. And uh, uh, the reaction in the beginning was quite hostile, to be honest. And whenever he was in a public conference or similar, people were really not uh, welcoming him. And this changed interestingly over the course of the past two years. On the one hand, Jens Spahn and his ministry passed one new healthcare law every single month. This is completely unprecedented in this, in this sector, never happened before. He made really sure that he's serious about digitizing the German Hesker system. And this continuous flow of laws kept everyone busy and also prevented that there's too much opposition from the traditionals against all those new changes. We, we still don't have in Germany today a secure data infrastructure for healthcare data. We do have something like this, which is called telematic infrastructure, very German word, very long, um, which is kind of a basic intranet secure, but it was not adopted by the majority of physicians. Not even talking about clinics and pharmacies. So, some of the physicians are already working with this um, secure data infrastructure, but the vast majority did not until 2018. And then, the Spahn, to give you one example, he said, Well, you can continue the way um, you do, not to use this safe infrastructure, but everyone who does gets a cut of their revenues by a few percent from next year onward. And suddenly, this massive block of opposition started to destruct themselves we still have some hardcore believers who are uh, physicians who say all the technology is bad I don't want to have anything to do with this and this is you can have reasons for that um, so they, they still continue like this but the vast majority did switch by now to this safe infrastructure to exchange data and this is just one example of very how he used kind of carrot and stick to really reform this super rigid, traditional, paper-based healthcare system in Germany.
0: Even before the current minister, healthcare startups could negotiate reimbursement, but they had to do that with each health insurance separately. The difference now is that if an app is approved, it needs to be reimbursed if a doctor prescribes it.
1: Now we have this new um, framework called DIGA Fast Track. DIGA is digital health application in, in, in German. So when you have a truly digital healthcare product, which is certified as a medical product, which is um, digital at its core, focus on the patient and fulfilling a few criteria, then you can apply for market access. And once you have that, and uh, application started um, uh, end of May last uh, this year. Then you have access to the entire German statutory healthcare market. And that is access to 72 million people in German. So from then on, any physician can prescribe your digital product, maybe an app, browser-based or um, voice-based or whatever, to their respective patients. And the health insurance has to pay for it now we don't know yet how pricing is going to be uh, how, how pricing is going to evolve but what it's clear is because we have a number of requirements which are not too easy to fulfill for example you need to be certified a medical product you need to generate evidence in the first 12 months when you are on the market and you get kicked out if you don't have proven enough evidence after this this date that prices are likely to be in a range where you at least can cover your costs in the, in the first year. And from then on, you can scale in the German market and make sure that this is also proper business. Because if it's not a business, we will not see good solutions long term. And thus we could also uh, just, just stop using that. So the understanding is even in the, in the health insurance world that we have to have fair prices also on digital products to make sure that these companies can not only survive, but continuously improve um, those products and, and um, generate evidence in the German market. Also as a step towards a global rollout later than in other markets.
0: While the German market is opening up to innovation adoption with a fast pace, the support for startups has quite a few years long history. Most obviously, Bayer's Grants for Apps, later renamed to G4A, was founded in Berlin in Bayer's headquarters. International chain of accelerator startup bootcamp ran a digital health program in Berlin as well. Currently, Vision Health Pioneers, a startup incubator supporting pre-seed startups and offering equity-free funding of up to 72,000 euros per team, is among the more visible support players for startups. Maren Lesched, the head of incubation at Vision Health Pioneers, has been living in Berlin throughout the transformation of the city in one of Europe's busiest digital health innovation hubs.
2: When you ask for Vision Health Pioneers, it's a publicly funded project. So the government of Berlin invests 1.5 million in helping young entrepreneurs that lack entrepreneurial training, first-time entrepreneurs most of the time, in building meaningful solutions as well. So it's not just the startup ecosystem and the corporations that support, but also the government. I think if you look into Berlin, you see that Berlin has a long history in pharma and health. So it's quite natural that the traditional companies that are active here in Berlin also merge with a tech ecosystem um, and create meaningful digital solutions. Um, So we have um, Bayer, we have Sanofi, we have Pfizer, we have organizations like Dr. Kade, we have Berlin Chemie. So there are a lot of organizations that have been active in that field, um, and they were pushing for innovation and, and and progress anywhere, I think. Then you have the strong universities that also bring a lot of talent into the market. So I think it's quite natural that um, Berlin also developed a strong digital health ecosystem. It's also an attractive hub for internationals. We see a lot of internationals with healthcare solutions and pharma solutions coming into town. Having... Um, programs like Startup Bootcamp and Grants for Apps uh, truly helped uh, to establish that ecosystem early on, and we are lucky to have success cases like Ada Health, for instance. Of course, you need role models and ecosystems like this. We have Celtope and other organizations that also showcase that it's not just um, male but also female founders uh, that you know bring new topics into the market, uh, like mental health and um, solutions. And I think, in general, it has been a very steady growth last year with the Digital Care Act. Of course, the ecosystem became a new boost. Um, so legally, it's now also easier to enter a digital health solution into the healthcare ecosystem here. And again, with with Charité um, and other organizations open to collaborate with startups, I think it's a it's a very um, a good you know foundation to actually. Build more companies um, and use maybe also Berlin as a hub to scale across Europe. And I see a lot of companies doing that. Um, they use the good connections and the good conditions here in Berlin to introduce solutions, to test solutions with the partners here. But then they also immediately scale. If you see Ada Health for sure, um, they're you know a poster child for for having a lot of operations and quite uh, being
0: quite active across Europe. The drive for innovation and the political will are present, however, that does not necessarily make innovation in healthcare easier.
2: The new regulation or the support from the government is no guarantee that um, solutions like this will be accepted by the user. It still needs a very user-centric approach. Um, Of course, it helps to have governmental support and certain regulations um, are kind of eased, but at the end, I think it's the end user that decides if the solution is good or bad. Um, I think it's important, and this is also what I've seen with the Berlin Institute of Health and activities um, supported by um, organizations like Charité or other, other hospitals that more and more medical experts move into the startup ecosystem, more and more medical experts consult or mentor young companies. So the founders... And entrepreneurs understand better what's the very specific need or more medical experts actually become part of the startup ecosystem. So in our incubator, um, every team needs to have a medical expert in their team that gives the inside knowledge that is needed to actually have that connection to real life. Um, it doesn't make sense from my point of view to develop something that is not applicable in the real life solution. So the problem solution fit is always an issue. Doesn't matter which area in, if it's healthcare or e-commerce or mobility, uh, but of course it's even harder in healthcare if you're not part of the healthcare ecosystem, if you're not dealing with the problem on a daily basis, if you only see it from the patient perspective and not from the doctors or especially a therapist and nurse perspective, of course it's hard to understand just because the system is very very complex. I don't believe that the Digital Care Act or everything else has the immediate effect. You have seen a lot of discussions, a lot of feedback also coming from digital health startups um, that you know started conversation and dialogue with the government to improve the first initial law that came out uh, just to make it more applicable to the real startup situation. And what we see is um, everything that the government does is a strong sign, is a message. It's a message to the hospitals, it's a message to the nurses it's a message to the, the GPs um, and also the patients. So I think there's more trust now that the government will ensure that solutions are certified, that solutions are tested, um, solutions do no harm, and everybody that builds the solutions also understands um, the responsibility they have if uh, they offer something to, to treat zero.
0: What exactly do doctors think about this development? Mike Henningsen, who works as a doctor and understands the startup side of innovation as well, still misses the involvement of medical professionals in the digitization story.
3: I mean, when I went to my practice, I saw 50 to 60 patients last week, one day. So then you can imagine if you really see 60 patients a day and on the side, you kind of check results and you do phone calls and and, then, when do you actually should find the time to think about digitalization? And I think this is really missing, this discussion. How can we as doctors find the time and be involved in this change? Because at the moment, I think there are many players involved, but doctors, not really. I mean, Jens Spahn, I think he has a very um, progressive approach, um, which I really appreciate. Um, But on the other side, I, I believe that he kind of paves the floor for other players than healthcare professionals. You know, you see people from the industry, you see app providers, people who might not have um, a deep medical knowledge, who are providing solutions, selling drugs online, um, or I don't know, having an app which gets prescribed. Um, And this is a conversation which is actually not taking into account the knowledge and the experience of doctors in many cases.
0: Ke also warns that the app providers still often don't understand the app user fit.
3: If you have an app which has been developed by someone who is not a medical expert, let's say I had one example and that was an app which aims for nutrition advice for people having a fertility issue. That app expects the doctor to explain everything about nutrition and kind of guide the couple and open the app each time the couple arrives and so on. And this app, for example, has several problems. First, it's not evidence-based. It's just someone who thinks nutrition might be beneficial in that question. Second, these app providers, they have never thought about How could this app and and what what the app is providing being being implemented into a doctor's workspace? If you imagine I see 60 patients a day, 10 minutes per patient, so I cannot open another app, kind of type in the name. So this is just not happening. It's just not working. And then the third question in such an app is, who reimburses that kind of work to me as a doctor? Why should I do it, really? There are so many apps out there, and these apps, they... It's not apps like these. Apps providers they don't address these questions. How can we really fit in? How can our solution be be implemented? We see some very good solutions which already are implemented, and which probably take away some work from the people or get reimbursed or really give some, you know, how to say, it, some benefit to the work of a doctor. And I, I really have to say, these apps they kind of they make it in a way. Other apps. Maybe not. And I think it's not because of um, doctors are lacking interest or they don't have the time. Really, some of these apps are just not implementation friendly, let's say like that.
0: Potential unnecessary burden for doctors, as mentioned by Mikey Henningsen, is still present. But to minimize them and to decrease the chance for failed healthcare IT projects, the current government established the already mentioned Health Innovation Hub. While it does not have any direct decision-making power, it does indirectly influence decision-making on the governmental level.
1: We are a quite unconventional, for many people, surprising bunch of people here. Um, so we have formed a team of twelve experts, all with long-standing experience in a specific field of healthcare. So, for example. Um, uh, The other co-head of the Health Innovation Hub is Professor Debatin. He's a seasoned um, physician and uh, university clinic director who turned also um, manager and was the CTO of General Electric Healthcare until very recently. We also have in the team a pharmacist who still runs four pharmacies in Germany. So he really knows the everyday life of pharmacies at the moment in Germany. We have a physician who is still practicing one day per week in his private practice. We have data scientists, um, healthcare lawyers, lawyers, but also one guy who has worked in the past 15 years in um, healthcare interoperability and in data formats. So he's really one of the experts in Germany on interoperability. So very diverse people, all long-standing um, experience in their respective fields. And thus, if we together come up with a concept, the chances that it's executionable uh, is very or are very high. Um, so when the government is planning some fundamental changes, they now actively approach us, and same is true for the physicians, for the pharmacies, for the health insurers so that we can be a true sparing partner in the, in, the, in 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 the in the true meaning um a neutral team of experts who um give uh, uh constructive feedback on what is possible and what not in specific fields um and we are very much also translate what uh, policy the regulator wants towards how it should be ex- um, operationalized so this is happening pretty well, and no one is obliged to work with us. Um, we are just existent for in total two and a half years, but we get requests almost every day. Now, by those various um, stakeholders of the German healthcare system who understood that we can enable change and we make sure that um, all those changes are in line with the real world. For a ministry, it's often difficult to understand what is really going on out there. Because if they would ask, or the lobbyists would come and say, we we need more money. Um, we, we, We leave everything as is, but we need more money. This is kind of the basic punchline of every official who's invited to the government. But we, on the other hand, um, can actually understand what's going on because we are from this world. So I co-founded a number of tech companies before I joined um, the Health Innovation Hub. So I really have a good understanding of the startup and tech world and can speak to them on eye level and understand kind of what is uh, bullshit and and what's what's really going on. I can also um, uh, identify... If I know what the lawmaker is, is is looking for, how it should be done to make sure that it's really happening in the next months and not just in a couple of years. So this DIGA fast track, which I outlined briefly, happened all within one year. So it was May 2019 when the f- very first draft was published. We directly organized a nationwide roadshow where we explained this new fundamental change to the German healthcare system within startup ecosystem of digital health in Germany and with the physicians and with the health insurances, got their feedback, brought it back to the ministry, um, worked on the the draft, and then it was already in November uh, passed by both uh, parts of the parliament. So this is kind of rocket speed for German lawmaking but it's possible because um, we all work towards the same goal at the moment. We all understood we need to digitize the system. We need innovations in the system. And we are kind of an enabler in this process.
0: So if I understand correctly, you don't have any direct uh, power, but you have a very strong advisory role that you can offer to the ministry yep. and to the stakeholders.
1: We don't. We don't have anything to say. We don't have even budget control uh, of like we do. That's just money for our team, basically. Uh, there's not any euro for whatever tech project we we would like to do. But we have by now quite some soft power because people understood that um, it's probably smarter to get us involved um, if you want to make sure that what is at the end happening is something that is in line with the real world that is executionable. And we also make sure that the patient is at the center of all those changes. We don't do just tech for the sake of tech. Um, I mean, there are are a lot of indices out there who tell you how much tech is in every healthcare system. This is not telling you very much. We want to make sure that data are there to be used, that um, the services uh, that now gets into the market uh, as digital health applications are useful for the patients and improve their everyday lives.
0: An important specific of the Health Innovation Hub is that it will exist for a very short time. This gives the team additional motivation to change the system to the better to the largest extent possible. And based on the current successes, Henrik Matthias believes progress made today will not get to a halt again, even after Health Innovation Hub is gone.
1: In 18 months, we dissolve. Um, So we only exist until uh, 31st December 2021. And then for sure we dissolve because it's a very complex bureaucratic thing to organize funding for something like this. And it was only possible if it's limited to end of next year. We try our very best to fix all those changes as deeply rooted in the system as possible, (laughs) that there's no rolling back. And I believe by now everyone has understood that we need those changes urgently. I believe also that the next government, because we have uh, elections next uh, autumn 2021, that whoever is going to be in government will have a similar institution set up afterwards but it's also very crucial for us that it's not us the same team by then you need fresh blood you need new perspectives you probably also need different competencies than the ones we have um we have someone like me in the team maybe in two years from now you don't need someone like me anymore because it's standard practice that you involve the startup ecosystem but maybe uh, artificial intelligence is then something that we should involve much more and which hasn't been done uh, upfront. So we very much believe that an organization like us should not exist much longer. You continuously need to get new, fresh uh, perspectives and competencies and, and people in there to make sure that the change is really continuously uh, happening.
0: You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health. Stay tuned for more. The upcoming episodes will feature digital health in South America with entrepreneurs from Colombia, Brazil, Venezuela, and Argentina. Visit our website www.facesofdigitalhealth.com to browse through other episodes as well. And to support the show, leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. Stay tuned.